The National Desk, Conversations, America's News Now. I'm Jan Jeffcoat. Welcome to Episode 3 of the National Desk, Conversations. Every weekday, we invite newsmakers onto our morning television broadcast to discuss topics everybody's talking about. On today's podcast, we revisit our conversation with the grandson of former President Richard Nixon. Christopher Nixon Cox is a board member at American University of Afghanistan. We talked with him about the daring rescues to get Americans and allies out as reports surface ISIS has now taken over every province of the country. But we begin with the Build Back Better spending bill and a congressman who talked with us just as the vote was happening in the House. The House back at it again this morning after a marathon session over Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Florida Congressman Byron Donalds joining us right now. And Congressman, we appreciate it because I know a lot of House members have not had a lot of rest. So good morning to you. Good morning, Jan. Good to be back with you. So what is going on right now in the House? Does House Speaker Nancy Pelosi have the votes? Uh, the fact that the speaker brought the bill to the floor, it appears that she does have the votes for this bill. But uh, we'll see how it actually shakes out in the end. Uh, the reality is, is that this bill, um, there are a lot of budget gimmicks in this bill. They've cut the life of these programs to one year or three years, trying to make the score look right, the, the budget score look right. But the truth is, is that Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, they want these programs to be permanent. They don't want them to last for one year or three years. So they're not being honest with the American people about the true cost and the true implications of their, so of their social spending. And what did you make of Kevin McCarthy last night? Did you know he was going to do that, that marathon speech that he gave? I didn't know he was going to do that, but he needed to. I mean, this is how dire this bill is for the country and our economic prospects going forward. Because what this is going to be is a fundamental transformation of our economy from a labor perspective. It's going to make it harder for business owners to get people to keep their hours so that we can actually produce goods and services in our country. And so while Joe Biden is leading us down this road, frankly, with economic stupidity, the Chinese and the Russians are moving at warp speed to build their economies to be rivals of ours. So even if this does get passed in the House, because as you mentioned, you never want to bet on uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. If she's going to bring it to a vote, she's, she's likely got the votes. We know it will likely go through some changes in the Senate. Is there anything the GOP could do to stop it at all? The way they did budget reconciliation rules under the 1974 Budget Control Act, there's very little that Republicans can do at this point. This is all going to be in the hands of, of the Democrat Party. So whatever the implications are, are also going to be all on the hands of the Democrat Party. Um, this is not a good play, way to us spend the nation's money. And frankly, we're borrowing money. We don't have it to do it. Because like I said, they want to start these programs for a year. But in reality, they want them to be permanent, which is going to add trillions of dollars to our national debt. So you don't think Senators Manchin and Cinema, you don't think they're going to actually uh, go against this? I think what they're going to do is they're going to tinker with it in the Senate. There's going to be some of the things that uh, the House has put in is gonna get, are going to get cut out. It remains to be seen what comes back. Uh, but it's probably more than likely it's going to be leaving the House in a couple of hours. All right. Uh, a couple of other topics I want to talk to you about, specifically President Biden's nominee to be comptroller of the currency. She faced some intense questioning during her nomination hearing before the Senate's Banking Committee. I know you have a finance background, and ahead of that hearing, you released this statement. You wrote, 
Saleh Amarova is a communist, plain and simple, and should have her nomination for a comptroller pulled immediately. Her track record and documented disdain for capitalism are grounds for disqualification for any position in the United States government. Congressman, you are very familiar with her, so tell me what you know about her and what your takeaways were from her nomination yesterday, her nomination hearing. Well, the unfortunate part is I still have to go back and watch the Senate hearing because I wasn't able to watch and observe it because everything going on the House side. But let's be very clear, all of her statements with respect to get doing away with personal bank accounts and having people's bank accounts being run by the Federal Reserve so the federal government can put money into accounts and also take money out of, out of accounts. Uh, the fact that she wants to see our energy infrastructure actually be depleted and wants the energy companies to go away. These things are grounds, frankly, grounds for unwinding our economy and making it much more of a socialist, much more of a government-run economy. For Joe Biden to nominate such a person with these ideals, to literally be the top regulator over our nation's bank is outrageous. And so that's why, in my view, the Senate should vote her down. Her confirmation should not go forward. But it's indicative of the ideology coming out of the White House that a nominee with such a background is even about to progress at this point. I read some uh, have suggested moderate senators like John Tester of Montana, uh, even Mark Warner of Virginia could possibly be a threat to the approval of her nomination. What are you hearing from Democrats on the Hill in regards to this? Uh, the Democrats on the Hill are very concerned about this. Is they're, they're walking on eggshells when it comes to her nomination. But let's also, let's also be clear to the American people. The mere fact that such a nominee was even suggested demonstrates where the modern Democrat Party is with respect to their belief in, the, in capitalism and a laissez-faire economy that actually has uh, just guardrails from Washington and from government, not outright control from Washington and government. That's where the modern Democrat Party is. It should be much more than John Tester and Mark Warner. It should be virtually every member of the Senate on the Democrat side of the aisle, probably with the exception of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But the rest of them should be in revolt over this and say, why would you even send this person here? This is purely about her ideology and her viewpoints when it comes to America's market and America's financial institution. They are not compatible. But unfortunately, we have too many Democrats who think that a nominee like this and ideals like this are okay. Congressman, you are a member of the House Committee for Small Businesses. We've all seen how inflation impacting everybody, but especially lower and middle class Americans. What about small businesses, though? How are small businesses right now coping with all this inflation? Uh, they're not coping with all this inflation. The price of all of their products uh, to come into their stores has increased 20, 30, 40 percent. It's harder for them to get shipment because there are less trucks on the road. All of this is tied into inflation. The rise in energy costs have increased everything across the board. People need to understand and realize that with the exception of food, petroleum products are basically in everything that we buy. They're in your shirt. They're in your clothes. They're in your computers. They're in your TV. There's petroleum is a part of that. So when energy costs go up, those costs go through the entire economy. Small business owners are on the front lines of this because they don't have the capacity to just raise prices um, with, that, with impunity. There's a limit to that, so a lot of them are going to eat these costs. And unfortunately, we might see some small businesses close as a result of that. All right, very quickly, Congressman. Um, we are looking at a vote coming up very soon, and, and we are expecting it to pass the House. We've also got the, the debt ceiling coming up. We're going to run out of money December 15th. What do you project moving forward now? 
Uh, what I think is going to happen going forward is that there's probably going to be a very serious debt ceiling uh, uh, disagreement up here on Capitol Hill. I don't envision Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans basically giving a temporary extension. I think that we need to have very strong negotiations right now, considering the fact that Joe Biden has never met a dollar. He's not afraid to spend. We cannot continue down this road as a nation. And for the Democrats who want to say, oh, but you gave tax cuts to the rich back in 2017, two things. Build Back Better has the largest tax increases for wealthy people in blue states in American history. That's in their bill. Number two, and more importantly, when we cut taxes in 2017, the amount of revenue that went to the federal government actually increased to a level that Washington has never seen in American history. So when they say we added $2 trillion to the deficit, that is a lie. That is not true. Washington raised more money than it ever has been. We have to get serious about our fiscal, our fiscal issues here in the United States. We need to have hard negotiations around this debt ceiling increase. Congressman Donald, great talking to you. I appreciate uh, you talking to us this morning. I know you got to get back to the House. Have a good one. Have a great weekend. Anytime. Thank you. You're listening to our weekly podcast, The National Desk Conversations, featuring newsmaker interviews from The National Desk, America's News Now. Next on episode three of our podcast, Christopher Nixon Cox. ISIS has reportedly taken over every province of Afghanistan as Americans here at home desperately work to get other U.S. citizens and allies out of the country. Many of these daring rescues spearheaded by private organizations. Well, joining us right now, someone very familiar with the mission to help those left behind, Christopher Nixon Cox, a board member at American University of Afghanistan and grandson of former President Richard Nixon. Chris, great to see you. Welcome to the National Desk. Great to be with you, Jan. So you've been heavily involved with the mission to get people out. What are you hearing from, from those who were left behind in Afghanistan? What are they experiencing right now at this moment under the Taliban? Well, you have to remember there are a lot of factors that are really going against the people of Afghanistan right now, uh, not least of which is the fear of their uh, physical safety uh, with uh, a lack of a really strong central government uh, with warlords and terrorist groups uh, running unchecked around uh, the countryside of Afghanistan, there's a real fear for uh, pe for people's safety. So that's that's the backdrop against which there are an other enormous problems affecting the people of Afghanistan. Not least of which is with the U.S. pullout. That was essentially the main source of economic activity was the U.S. government. So without the U.S. government there, uh, the economy's just fallen off a cliff. Um, and this has led to other problems, such as uh, it's very difficult to get basic supplies, whether it's uh, things like diapers or food uh, or anything like this. It's, it's a very desperate situation. So you see inflation skyrocketing and a complete lack of food. I think that uh, there are millions and millions, up to nine million people who need to be fed at this point, and that's skyrocketing. So, uh, you know, there's a really desperate situation, and it isn't helped by the fact that winter's approaching, and winter in Afghanistan is very cold and, de and a desperate time anyway. So it's just a very bleak situation. It's so sad, and, and the economic crisis that many families are dealing with right now is just unbelievable, especially when you start reading stories about Afghan families so desperate for cash, they're selling their children, children as young as three, and two years old. What does the future hold for this country? Well, it's just, it, it's very uncertain at this point. There are a lot of competing uh, countries in the region, whether it's Russia, Iran, Pakistan, China, 
that are becoming involved in Afghanistan uh, on the local level. There are uh, various different groups fighting each other. It's uh, not just the Taliban, it's ISIS and other uh, unsavory groups uh, that are fighting for control of Afghanistan. So the future, I think, is it's very, uh, I'd say, bleak at this point, very, very confused at this point. And I think that, uh, you know, when you look at the Afghan people, um, you know, it's such a shame uh, because there's uh, such talented people that yeah. uh, it should be a bright future and it should be a future where education will lead people out of poverty. And of course, that's our mission at the American University is to educate uh, Afghan people. And uh, really, uh, that's that's where the future should be. But unfortunately, it's been hijacked. And Chris, you know, there's been uh, opposing viewpoints as to really how many are still left behind. I imagine those who are left behind are in hiding right now. What can you tell me about the numbers, the number of people trying to get out and also about the evacuations? Well, it's, it's a tricky question from one sense because so many people want to get out for factors uh, that go beyond just safety. It's, uh, as I said before, that's uh, the, the hunger that's gripping the country right now, the lack of food. Of course, people want to flee that. Um, and this is causing a massive humanitarian crisis. And if it's not addressed, we could see a mass migration of people, much like we did uh, in the early part of the last decade from Syria, which will potentially destabilize the surrounding countries around Afghanistan or could potentially end up on Europe's doorstep again. So uh, I think that when you talk about numbers, of course, there's a, there's a hardcore number of people that have worked for the former Afghan government that desperately need to get out because of public safety reasons, but then, and that number's in the thousands or tens of thousands, but then there's uh, an even larger number of people, which could be up to the millions, uh, who just need to flee because they can't feed themselves, or uh, they don't feel that their children will get a good education, or, uh, you know, they feel that their lives are at risk at any moment from a, from a warlord. So, uh, you know, the, the number of people that would get out, that want to get out, it's extremely large. The number of people that have to get out that, that we need to for public safety reasons, probably numbers in the tens of thousands. All right, Christopher Nixon Cox, great to talk to you, my friend. Again, board member of American University in Afghanistan. We appreciate your wisdom this morning and your expertise there in the region. Have a good one. Thank you, great to be with you. That's episode three of the National Desk Conversations. Join me each weekday morning from six to 11 Eastern for the National Desk, America's News Now. Check your local listings or watch on the STIR app. Our podcast comes out twice a week with fresh newsmaker interviews. The conversation continues. Until next time, from the National Desk, I'm Jan Jeffcoat.